have in my hand the powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, we are family. Well, you don't have to sing it, just say it to them, all right? <laughs> How many of you are from a family? <clears throat> from a family. How many of you are from a family? I should see every hand, I think, unless, unless you believe what your brother or sister told you that you're found under a cabbage leaf. Some say that aliens brought you. I know that, that works too sometimes. All of us have family, amen? Good and not so good. I won't say bad, just not so good. We, we probably should pause for a moment because God performs miracles. Amen? And I witnessed one Friday night. Because normally we're not on the receiving end of those. I was proud of, of our coaches and our players and proud. Anytime you can beat Union, it's a great day. In the kingdom of God, it's a great day. Coach Ray asked me, he said, Reverend, how do you know when God answers your prayers? I said, usually by 10.30 I can tell you. Good game, Coach. Good game. Coach Caleb is up in the press box now, watching from afar. So I can't protect him. I can't keep him from hurting himself. But <laughs> it, uh, it, was, it was an exciting game. I ran across this story. I, I just couldn't pass it up, talking about how family is and how sometimes people that aren't your real family become your family. Great stories. It kind of starts like this. It says, the guy says, I spent the summer of 1995 touring America with my band. Our first album had just come out. We were playing every night in a different city. One night we were playing a show in Atlanta, and the promoter of the show forgot to book us a hotel, so we crashed at a friend's apartment who lived in the city. And as guys do, uh, they pick their spots to sleep, and I got an air mattress. Oh, I forgot to mention that it was July in Atlanta and the temperature was well over 100 degrees and this guy had no air conditioning. He said, I, I took off every piece of my clothing <laughs> that uh, didn't make things awkward and then went out for the night. He says, when he woke up in the morning, he absolutely couldn't move. His buddy Jason tried to get him to wake up because they had to get on the road to go to Birmingham for the next show. But he had sweat so profusely through the night that his body had stuck to the air mattress. <laughs> he said, I felt like I was a human fruit roll up as he peeled me off of, the, off of the air mattress. But he said, you know, this guy and I have been friends, great friends for, the, for, for 20 years. And he said, and I, tr and I believe and treat him just like he's one of my family members. How many of you have a similar story like that where somebody's done something special in your life? Maybe you've connected with them in a special way. And they're almost closer to you than your real family. That happens. It's fun. And, yet, and yet, when we think about church, when we think about the spiritual side of our life, 
we have a family here, don't we? And that's the beautiful part about it. In fact, in Ephesians 2, 19, Paul says, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Now that was good news for the Gentiles to hear. They wanted to know that, and they're glad that they are. Uh, you know, you may have grown up without brothers and sisters in your home. You may have been an only child. Guess what? You've got brothers and sisters here. You may have grown up in a home where dad was absent. Well, guess what? You've got your heavenly father that loves you more than life himself. He loves you with everything that he's got. He loves you with an everlasting love. He wants to spend forever with you. Man, that's, that's a long time, isn't it? I mean, there's some people I don't want to spend more than five minutes with. Amen? But boy, you know, God wants to spend forever with us. Think about that. That's awesome. Maybe you grew up in a home where mom wasn't the type of mom that you had hoped that she would be. But guess what? There's spiritual women in this church who can be great mom role models for you and helpers in your life. There's men in this church who want to be your dads, especially these young people up on the front. Some of them come from homes where it's a single mom in their home. You know, we've got a lot of dads here ready to put the pop knot on their head if we need to. Amen. And, and, and Mr. Parmenter was their coach when they were in Little League, and he knows how to put a pop knot on anybody's head. Jason's head is full of pop knots. It just I'm glad he has a lot more hair than the preacher does now, praise God. But the point I'm trying to make is that Paul was talking to this church in Thessalonica, and that's kind of where we've been in our series, How to Prepare for the End of the World. And you might be asking yourself, why in the world are we going to, how, how does that preparing for the end of the world? Man, we're going to, we have to get ready to spend it forever with each other. Yeah, if we can't get along down here, how are we going to get along in heaven? Amen. I mean, really. Really, let's think about that. But in most families that you pick, you don't get to pick, right? You're born into it. And in every family, as I said, there's, there's some of those good ones, and then there's some of the weird ones. <laughs> We've all got some. Every family has them. And you don't spend a lot of time with those people. You're, you're gracious and you're kind, and you say hello, and then you move on real quick. Because you don't want to spend too much time with them. Because they're really strange people. But you know what? Maybe that's how we are. To them. In fact, in 1 Peter 2, Peter says this, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But I really like the way the King James puts it. And there's times when the King James just says it just the way it needs to be said. Now, some of you will say amen because that's the only book we should be reading. And I understand that. And that's the only Bible translation. I mean, if it's good enough for the Apostle Paul to use, it's good enough for anybody to use. But uh, I had a guy tell me that one time. <laughs> I thought, okay. I didn't know Paul lived in the 16th century. But here's, what, here's how the King James puts it. And it's really, really good. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. I love that because I really believe that we as believers, as a Christian family, we're kind of peculiar. We really are. And we should be. And the world ought to notice that we're peculiar people because the things that gets them all excited and jazzed up doesn't really get us excited and jazzed up. Shouldn't. And boy, we get jazzed up about some crazy stuff. There were 19,000 people Friday night to watch two high school football game, uh, two football teams go at each other. 19,000 people. And when we scored that last touchdown, I, I am deaf in my right ear. <laughs> Those kids sitting on the 50-yard line, they were so loud. I don't know what the decibel level was, but it was so loud. 
And everybody was jumping, and I couldn't jump. I was just in my mind I was jumping, though. But I was all, it was, all, it was unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. But you know, in a spiritual family, we have got to learn to be able to get along with each other. And that's kind of what Paul's going to talk to us about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's pick it up at verses 1 through 4. For you ourselves know, brothers, that our visit with you was not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and we were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. For our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but rather God who examines what? <laughs> I don't like it. God examines my heart. I want him to examine something else. But why does he want to examine our heart? Because he knows that's where it all comes from. He knows that. And if your heart is pure, clean, holy, he knows that. He said of David, David is a man after my own. Ah. Was David perfect? <laughs> Far from it. He had roaming eyes, did he not? He had lustful thoughts, did he not? And he not only thought about them, he followed through on them. But yet God described him as a man after my own heart. Hmm. We're going to talk about the family in three ways Paul's describing the family for us in these verses in our text today in 1 Corinthians 2. First of all, he says, I can exhort like a brother. And that's what these first four verses teach us. Paul isn't making demands with the church. He was an apostle. He could have used that authority to make a statement. But sometimes words coming from a brother have more meaning than from an authority figure. When my brother Tommy speaks, we all listen. When he speaks, we all listen. Even before he was a believer in Christ, I would listen. Because I respect him for who he is and what he is and what position he holds in our family. And it's important that we learn that in our fellowship with each other. A brother isn't a salesman trying to hustle you or a policeman trying to enforce you into something. Paul is saying to the church of Thessalonica, our exhortation didn't come from error, uncleanness, or deceit. And the Greek word here for error means to deceive or, 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 or be a fraud, trying to purposely mislead. The, the Greek word for uncleanness is a, a cathartic experience. And when you think about it, you think of purification and cleansing. Uh, I hated that little, little bottle my mom would pull out of the medicine cabinet they called mercuricoma or methylate, and she'd put the and she'd just dab it on that cut, and it was like fire from hell right in your finger. Ah! And you knew you were going to die at any moment. And then she would do that that dreaded thing, blow on it. Really, really. And then she'd put it back in there, and, and when she took the lid off, a little puff of smoke would come out of it. You know, like there was. I, Maybe that was only at my house. But it's impure motives. Some, trying to trick, trying to scheme. And he said, we didn't come that way. 
He said, I want to come to you as a loving brother. We need to come as brothers and sisters who love each other with pure motives. Pure, pure motives. I read a story about a family that was trying to potty train their, their young son who had an older sister. <laughs> and so mom and dad had decided if the boy could do number one in the, in the potty, he would get three M&Ms. If he could do number two in the potty, he got 20 M&Ms. And so, man, things were working pretty good. And little sister was catching on to what was going on. Well, one, one night, uh, he went to bed, and he didn't get number two in the potty. It got somewhere else. But they rushed him to the bathroom. Well, the little sister thought that he'd gone in the potty, so she went to the kitchen, and she got 20 M&M's. And she's coming to the bathroom with the 20 M&M's, and the mom says, no, 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 he didn't quite make it. So she just picked out three of them and handed it to him because he did, he did do number one in the potty, but he didn't get number two in them. Anyway, so she throws the other 17 in her mouth. <laughs> A lot of love coming out of that sister now. <laughs> A lot of encouragement coming out of there. But the point of that goofy story is that in the body of Christ, the family of God, there are brothers and sisters who do truly love us and who do truly want the best for us. And we need to understand that. Sometimes they have to come and say things that maybe aren't pleasant, but we need to hear them. We need to listen. Don't immediately become defensive. Don't immediately get, uh, don't, don't immediately get upset because so-and-so said such and such and they said it in such a way and it was such a hateful thing. Calm down. Calm down. It's hard to say things harshly if you're smiling, isn't it? You know, if you're smiling, you say, man, I hate you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's hard to do. I mean, it's just, it's just hard to say that. And you know what, you're ugly, you know what I'm saying? You're ugly. It's hard to say that. I mean, you can look really mean, as, you know. <laughs> Let's just smile at each other. We'll get a lot more done for the kingdom. People always want to sell the church stuff. Get a lot of requests for different things to sell here at the church. And, you know, if I said okay to all of them, well, you'd have insurance people here. You'd have, you know, all kinds of things going on here at the church house. And it's kind of what was going on when Jesus got a little upset. In fact, it's, it's told in Mark 11. It says, when they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. Now, you've got to understand what he was witnessing and why he was doing it this way. There were four major areas of the temple. The first one was the outer court that was reserved for the Gentiles. Remember, they were being brought in? So, but they had the outer court, and the Jews kept them on the outside. It was the biggest area, but it was still outside the temple. And it was called Court of the Gentiles because that's the only place they could go. They couldn't go any further. They couldn't go inside any, any deeper than that. They could only stay on the outside edges of that. And if you weren't a Gentile, maybe you were a devout Jewish woman. Well, you got to go between that one and the next one, so you got to go to the next level. But then there was a, there was a, a curtain, and you couldn't go past that curtain. Because you were a woman and you couldn't go any further. Now, if you were a man, you could go through both of those and into the third one. 
the third level. But you couldn't go any further than that because there was another level. And that was reserved for the priest. <laughs> you see, you see, us religious, spiritual people. And you folks are not those people. So you can't go in that one. Only we can go in that one. Isn't it funny how our voices change when we start talking that way? See, they're the only ones that could go in there. And so these religious leaders were setting up shop. And where were they setting it up? In the court of the Gentiles. See, the Gentiles were coming to the temple to try to learn because they didn't know about God. They didn't know about this. And the message was being freely given to them now. So they wanted to come to the temple to find out. You see, these Christians were winning and they were coming to find out. And so now they're setting up their wares to sell these qualified things to these Gentiles. And who qualified them? Well, it was these priests, <laughs> those smart guys. Huh. And, of course, they were temple-approved items, and the prices were out of sight. You ever been to Disneyland and bought a hamburger for $17? That was, that was as big as a quarter. You were just praying for some meat to be between those two pieces of little breeze of bread. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what was going on in the Gentile court. The Romans, and of course, a lot of these people were coming from foreign spots, and so they wouldn't have currency that worked, so they would have to exchange the currency at an exchange rate that was astronomical. So Jesus wanders into this, and he says, I don't think so, and he lets loose, and well, you know the rest of the story. A brother doesn't allow another brother to be taken advantage of. So if you know someone's being taken advantage of, you stop it. You stop it. You just stop it. You step up and say, no, 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 no. You stop it. Don't let it go on. You stop it. Which leads us to our next point in verses 5 through 9. For we never used flattering speeches, you know, and had, or had greedy motives. God is our witness, and we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you as a nursing mother nurtures her own children. Is that not an amazing thing? We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers, working night and day so that we would not burden any of you. We preach God's gospel to you. Secondly, I can love like a mother. I can exhort like a brother. I can love like a mother. And there is something special about a mom's love, isn't there? When our kids were growing up, they would, they would fall and get a boo-boo. And I would try to go and minister to them. And they would always want their mother to come. And I never quite understood that. I mean, after all, I'm there. I can handle it. But there's just something about a mother's touch, isn't there? I remember one time I was, one of them had hurt their leg or something. I was rubbing on their leg and they kept calling for their mother. I said, I'm right here. And they kept calling for the mother. Mom comes and she, <laughs> she starts rubbing the same place I've been rubbing. And all of a sudden they get a big old grin on their face and like, yeah. Hey, that happens in the family of God. You don't have to be a mom to have a ministry of a mom in the body of Christ. I'm talking about showing compassion. Showing love, showing tenderness. Dads have a tendency to not do that, don't we? 
So your legs broke. Get up. Let's go. Well, Dad, my finger's pointing the wrong way. Don't worry about it. We'll pop it back into place. Here we go. I remember last year in the state championship game, Braden's foot was hurt. And he came off and limping, and Brad looked at him. He said, are you going to play? He goes, well, I don't know. He says, do you want to play or not? And then he walked away. I thought, yeah, you want to play or not? And I started walking away. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I asked Darlene after the game. I said, well, how's his foot? She goes, oh, she went into detail about his foot now. You know, all this stuff. I said, oh, my goodness. But you know what? He just taped it up better, and he went out and played and had a great ball game. But, you know, dads, we don't always... Show that tenderness we need to sometimes. But we're family. And we need to use all the gifts that are given to us as a family. In Romans 12 it says, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. I think about a nursing mom's love. She wakes up at all hours of the night to tend to a baby who's hungry. You see, babies when they get hungry don't know what time it is. Have you noticed that? And why is it that they wait till 1.33? 4.29. How do they know that? And all they know to do is to... And what do you want to do? You want to go in there and hug them. <laughs> Tightly. <laughs> but not a mom. What does she do? Hauls that old carcass up out of bed, tired, weary, and goes and takes care of that baby. That's a mom. That's a mom. And if you have little children that you tend to like that, you know what I'm talking about. Newborns only take in the relationship because the love is so strong. They don't give much. They take but because of what mom does for them and willingly, willingly sacrifices for them to meet those needs, they teach those children then what that means to do to others. So when Paul writes that he loved this church with the same unselfish love and care that moms have for newborns, it meant a lot. And here's what I love about God's family. Some point in, in church, it stops being about what we can get and becomes about what we can give. We need to quit worrying about what am I going to get out of it, but what can I give back? And that's what we need to be more focused on in our walk with God. If you've been a Christian longer than one day, longer than one day, then you need to learn to give back. You've been taken in too long. You've become spiritually fat. And you need to give back. Give back. Give back. Give back. You need to give it to the Lord. 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 As I go to hospitals, I see person after person after person who maybe needs ministry. Maybe that could be your ministry. When I go to nursing homes, my heart breaks all the time because who comes to see them? Who cares? I think about Freedom House and those, young, young, those, those women. They, are old, they look older than their age because of what life has done to them and the choices that they made, which they admit they made them. Nobody forced them to make them, but they made them. But boy, it's good to see the smile on their face, isn't it? So it's about more what I can give rather than what I can take. It's no longer what am I going to get from the message. It's more like who can I share this with? Who can I share this message with? 
Our messages every week are on the on our internet site, online features. Boom, there it is. Get your friends to go listen. Hey, tell them, say, if you're having a hard time sleeping, plug this guy in right before you go to sleep, man. He'll knock you right out. I don't know what method you use, but we need to get people to, to tune in to our church and to what's going on. Because there are people serving today in our children's ministry. They've given up their time in here to be with our children. To help them learn. You need to tell them how much you appreciate that. Let them know that. And, and, and they give up that time willingly. They're, they don't grudge it. Maturity is moving from it being about you to the role of a loving mom who wants to see others nourished and growing even to the willing of sacrificing for them. And we erroneously measure maturity by how much we know about the Bible. But that's only part of it. Because the real measure of maturity is not how much we know, but how much we're willing to sacrifice for another person. That's Christianity. See, husband and wives that are growing and thriving in their relationship, they're trying to outserve each other. Instead of sitting there nitpicking each other. They're trying to outserve each other. How can I outserve you? How can I, how can I outlove you? How can I outgive you? You see. I'm going to be a bigger, better encourager than you are. Oh, you want a better? Well, I'll just knock you out and show you. I'm going to do Again, it's not, it's not about what I know. It's about what I'm doing. It's about my serving. Which takes us to the third point that Paul wants us to teach in verses 10 through 12, or learn from verses 10 through 12. So, you are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you believers. As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Exhort like a brother, love like a mother, and then thirdly, I can teach like a father. I read a story about a man that liked to walk by and smack his wife on the bottom. And so his children were watching. So his daughter decided, okay, so she would walk by and smack her mother on the bottom. And her mother would say, honey, that's not what you're supposed to do. She goes, well, I'm just doing what daddy does. The bad part is that when mom would stand trying to cook, the little girl would walk up and just start playing the drums. <laughs> mom would say, no, 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 I'm just doing what poppy does. You see, kids see everything. And we need to ask ourselves, what am I teaching them? What are they seeing and what am I teaching them? The question isn't if you're teaching, it's what you're teaching. Paul tells us what a true spiritual father does in these verses. He says he does three things. He exhorts, he comforts, and he charges. Exhorts, comforts, and charges. The Greek word for exhort is parakaleo, and it means it, it's a compound word that means para means to come alongside, and kletos means to come alongside and help. So we're supposed to come alongside and help. Come alongside and help. So wives, when you say to your husbands, would you come help me? Men, get up and go help them. Don't sit there and go, I'm tired. Oh, wow. I ain't got time. You even forget how to speak right words after what? Uh, 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 and somehow she's supposed to translate that. No. Guys, 
Ladies, if your husband says, come help me, get up and go help him. Don't sit there and go, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> See, it works both ways, doesn't it? Gate swings both ways. I know some of you are going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you listening? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would ask you to point, but don't, because some of you would. I did that one time in a church. Went right out of college, I was preaching in James about how the tongue is set on fire by hell itself, and we shouldn't be gossiping about people. People on this side of the church were pointing at them over there going, and them over there were pointing back like this. And I was up in the front going, oh, my goodness. That was a whopping 22, and I, I had, nobody taught me that class. I don't know what to do with that. But we're to exhort, we're to comfort. Again, a compound word, to speak is the back part of it, to come alongside, to speak. So comfort is a, is a picture of coming alongside and speaking the right word at the right time. And then the third word is change, and it literally means to be a witness, to model something. So think about what Paul's saying here as a father. He says a real dad is someone who comes alongside to help, to speak, and to model the way we should go. Paul says that this is what he did with this church. It was, it's what spiritual fathers do. Some of you grew up with dads who just yelled and barked orders at you. Some of you grew up with dads who didn't teach you the things that you were supposed to teach and, and learn. He never taught you what it means to be a man. I see it all the time. These two coaches sitting up here, and Rodney is third coach, they can tell you that they deal with young men in their programs who need them to be a dad figure for them because they don't have one who helps them be a man. Let me say to you men at church, we need to be the same way. We need to put our arms around these young people and pull them in tight and say, hey man, if you need a friend, I'm a friend. I'm here to help you. I, I will always remember Jim Middleton and Leon Yates, those two men. They became the dad to me spiritually that I never had. Never had. But those guys loved me enough to want me to exceed, to be successful and to succeed in life. Some of you grew up without a dad at all. He took, he took off. He left you. But here's the good news. You don't have to figure things out by yourself. You may be 30, 40 years old and still trying to figure it out. Guess what? There's some guys a little bit older than you that'd be willing to invest in you if you'd let them. If you'd let them. When you come into the family of God, God becomes your father. He's the one who'll never leave you or forsake you. And that's, that's also for you ladies whose moms maybe didn't do for you like they should have or maybe abandoned you early on. Your Father loves you, and He'll love you with an everlasting love and an eternal love. There's some guys that I've been working with that see me in that role. I've got three of them in my life right now. Yeah, I love them. One of them told me I was the best dad that, ever, that, that he's ever known. I said, well, that's good. Since he's my son, I hope that's true. But you know, there is something special about a godly, earthly family, isn't there? I missed out on that. Maybe you're a single adult. It means you don't have to make bad choices. You've got spiritual brothers, spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers right here in the church that want to help you.
help you with those decisions you need to make. I challenge you to be open and receive the wisdom that these folks have to give you. To give and receive grace and truth as they share it with you. But you got to come seek it. They're not going to come find you out and hammer you. Come seek it. Because once you ask, then it's easier to give. Some of you are physical and spiritual dads that are here. And you might say, man, what would be my next step, preacher? Well, I want to tell you to keep investing. Keep investing. Keep investing. Because you never know when that investment is going to bust loose. And you never know when that investment is going to pay off. But you keep bringing them. You keep bringing them to church. You keep showing them the way. You keep putting the Word of God in them. You keep putting the songs of God in them. You keep putting the, the love of God in them. You keep showing them the service to God. You keep putting those things in their life. You invest in them. What else have you got to do? Because you're working your way out of here, aren't you? <laughs> this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Okay. So invest. Invest in the spiritual things in their life. And keep it going. But the group that concerns me the most are those that are in our church that aren't Christians yet. When my nephew told me that my brother had suffered this severe stroke, I instantly said, praise God. And I know that my nephew thought I was nuts. Because you see, if healing comes completely to him, what a testimony. And if he, God says, let's come on home, what a testimony. It doesn't matter. Because his destiny is set. And the rest of it really doesn't matter. The rest of it doesn't matter. But if he didn't know Christ, and my nephew called and said he had a severe stroke and he may not live, my heart would ache. See, I grew up in a home with a mom and a dad, but I didn't have a dad. I had a yeller and a screamer and a cusser who loved to cuss at us. My, my uncles and aunts, they still shake their heads that two of us out of the five boys ended up in the ministry. Because we weren't cut from a cloth to do that. But God has a, has a plan that none of us know about. See, I wouldn't even be baptized on Sunday because I didn't want to be in front of a crowd. <laughs> well, look what I do now. Sitting up here in front of you. But because of Leon and Jim and other men over the years who took time to invest in me, I'm a better man today and a much better dad than I ever saw, ever had. I'm telling you, invest but you can't invest if you don't have a Savior. If you don't have a Savior. Let's pray. Father, I know there's someone in this room that will identify a lot with this message today. 
the words that I said, those didn't hurt them. But the memories are what sometimes hurt because we have to dredge them up when we, sometimes we feel like we've buried them and hear the preachers preaching and it kind of drags up stuff. But God, I want everyone to know what you've taught me this week. And that is how much you love us. You love us so much that you'll take us as worthless, as inconsistent, as sinful as we are, and still love us. If I would have been the only person alive in the, on the earth when Jesus was sent to be born like a baby and grow up to be a man, He still would have had to die on the cross because of my sin. God, if there's somebody in this room hearing my voice who never ever named you as their Savior, it's a simple process. They just first of all have to believe. They have to believe that you can deliver on the promise that you say. That if anyone will confess your name, that you'll save them. God, then there needs to be repentance. And the repentance is, I'm going to change the way I'm living now. I'm going to make better choices and right choices. And I'm going to live in a way I've never lived before. Under the blood of Jesus. And then, Father, they follow that decision with baptism. And they bury the old life. That's the picture we see. A spiritual death, a spiritual burial, and a spiritual resurrection. And the Bible describes that as a person rising to walk in a new life. I wish we could change the outside because all of us at times don't see us outside the way we should. But you change us on the inside, which then affects the outside because of the joy of the Lord that bleeds through. God, I just wonder if there's somebody today that might respond in that way. I don't know what their needs are, but you do. So would they respond today? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing a great song of invitation.